0: Hey 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 Alright New Podcast Episode Where My Audio Quality Isn't Terrible Alright, welcome everybody to John Dudley Speaks The Podcast, The Show, The Series, The Musical <laughs> That's what they should call it, right? you know, we should just we should just change the name of the podcast after I've published it already. What do you guys think? Don't all don't all jump at once. Oh my god. That was such a such a roaring crowd response. <laughs> alright, alright. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop wasting time because the last podcast episode with the terrible audio quality, remember, it was terrible audio quality. This one has better audio quality. They might be the same to you, who knows? You might listen to it and be like, John, why'd you get a worse mic? What is wrong with you? Can't you find something that connects to your computer without it making you sound like you're underwater? Um, Alright, uh, good start, everybody. Uh, so we're going to be talking about Nathan Fielder today. Um, and, you know, if you guys have been following my Substack um series on Nathan um three week series. You know, I didn't want to go too long with it because there's really not too much to to you know um to pull out of um you know three series. I didn't want to drag it out too long. But before we get there, uh just some news, some things going on real quick. Uh that I'm gonna get into uh anybody see the Roadhouse trailer for Amazon Prime, Jay Juwanhall? Because That looks awesome. Um, I'm just going to say right now, um, you know, Roadhouse, movie of the year, movie of the century, movie of the lifetime. I'm saying it right now. Could be. Could be. Oh, yeah. But uh, Roadhouse, the remake, um, reboot, maybe. Um, Looks like it's supposed to be like... Jake Gyllenhaal is playing the son of Patrick Swayze, but it looks great. I I gotta say, you know, uh, no bullshit looks actually really great. Um, I'm very excited to see what they do with the fight scenes. It looks like it's going to be a lot more heavy action blockbuster-y type deal than, um, you know, than most remakes go. You know, I, I I think they're going to make it, um, a lot more focused on the fight scenes, um, especially with him being like a retired ufc fighter um yeah it's, it could be cool to see jake Gyllenhaal in the the action uh genre again um but yeah apparently um apparently jake did have some other news here's here's a here's a an addendum to the roadhouse news um apparently jake caused an indie film to break down because he he would get into the frozen sea at random and just be like when I see the sea I'm I jump in the sea or something something like that something stupid uh, some you know he was trying to like demand the script be um, be like changed and rewritten like half the time and yeah and honestly I hear that and I'm like yeah, A guy like Jake Gyllenhaal, that tracks, you know. The man that all too well was written about, of course he's going to be neurotic and nonsensical. Are you kidding me? Does Taylor lie? Does Taylor Swift lie in her songs? No, no, of course not. Never. Not once. Not once. Not even an embellishment, no. Uh, what do you guys think is going to happen when she writes the first song about Travis Kelsey? When's that going to happen? It's going to be soon, right? They're going to get engaged soon. I'm hearing the the rumors. People are saying it's going to be like, we're going to have a huge economic boom because she's going to have a baby with Travis next year or something or 2025 or whatever. Uh, That is next year. Oh my God. We're already in 2024. This is weird. This is weird. It just feels like it shouldn't be a year. Just feels like it, it. It's just too. It's too far in the future. T- sounds too futuristic for it to actually be a year. Um, I'm getting off track. I need to stop. <laughs> All right. Uh, new other news. Um, Mark Mylod from Succession is going to helm um, some episodes from the director's chair for season two of The Last of Us, which is awesome. Um, I think a huge decision being made by hbo to um to really fill that show with even more talent than it already has Uh, i think if they're trying to bank on the last of us being the flagship program for hbo right now um that's a very good decision um you know get some other heavy hitters in there i heard kate heron who directed loki season one is also going to be in in the mix for the last of us Uh, Same director of uh, Long, Long Time from season one is coming back. So really, really good news. You know, it seems like, you know, I think they are missing something. I think they are missing Sam Levinson (laughs) to add, um, you know, a ton of unnecessary sex scenes and just very brutal imagery Um That's that's what HBO does, right? You know, Euphoria, The Idol. That's what that's what I'm not going to speak on Euphoria. I actually think Euphoria is quite good, but um, yeah, they're not they're not going to get a second season of The Idol. It's kind of sad. Think what that could have been, but I could sit here and mourn The Idol season two all day. Cause I'm a freak. Yeah, I need to stop. I really need to stop, guys. Guys, it's Friday when I'm recording this and uh, I'm just in a good mood. I'm in a good mood. I'm also in a good mood because daredevil born again is going to have Nelson Murdoch and page all back together. It's almost like Marvel heard us saying, Hey, you're killing them off. That's stupid. And uh, they decided to go against it. So that's, that is all good news. Uh, Hopefully Marvel keeps making better decisions and stops being stupid. So but you can't you can't control everything as a fan, you know. All we got is Deadpool three this year, so we'll see, we'll see. <sighs> man, let's get into, let's get into the episode. Let's do it. All right, guys. Nathan, for you, I rewatched it. It totally hits. It's so good. Um, one of the aspects of self help comedy that I, I think can often be a little off-putting is like the voice of it but like I just love how like blatantly silly Nathan for you is um, so you know getting into the first uh, post of this Substack stack series um, I want to talk about the plan and yes that is the plan from Nathan Fielder uh, how he comes up with these convoluted business ideas that I think, you know, are meant to mimic, I guess mimic like the regular business plan that you would have, but like have that little tweak of something so absurd. Um, I'm wondering out of all of them, what was the most insane one? You know, I watched four seasons in like two weeks. So I was just like racing through them, trying to write about it, take some notes. and um, But you know, um, looking back on it, I, I would have to say the first, the first one that really like drove me up a wall was like, how, how is this any, like, how is this practical in any way? How does this like make sense for a business decision? This is clearly just a bit, um, was, oh, what was it? The, well, goat in the water for sure. Um, I think the funniest thing about that is just him um like you're putting in the the clause in the non-disclosure agreements that if they don't meet these conditions and terms that they'll be you know punished with the death penalty <laughs> with which is just which is just insane in its own right but it's the, it's right after that gets me. Every time is when he says, my lawyer told me that it's not enforceable, but I left it in there just to show everybody how serious I was. Um, it's just, I, I think that was the moment when I was watching the show where I was like, oh, so he's like, th- this is just, it's not just fully silly, but it's fully silly, but knows that it's fully silly. Because it, there, there's the first few episodes where it's uniformly like put together. Such a nice, compact way, um it's if you don't know Nathan fielder, like just starting off that show, you kind of think, oh, maybe it's just this like comedy central gag, you know it's it, it's not really highbrow or meant to be highbrow, but it um it's just meant to have fun, but it was at that moment when I saw that that joke be played out in front of me, and I was like, oh, so this is this is something else entirely like he's he he knows the bit that he's trying to pull off and he also knows that we're gonna fall for it and but he also doesn't realize how viral these kinds of things are gonna go. Um and that's why I, I love the dumb Starbucks episode so much. Um it's just like how do you how do you come up with something that um silly without like just completely, you know, just being willing to be vulnerable and just come across as an asshole. Because you kind of do, like at some point you're going to end up, you know, if you're doing some kind of parody, someone's going to get offended, right? Um, which is like the, you know, the whole, I, I think he does a great job of just establishing for the audience, like the Nathan character is kind of not only an idiot, but a loser, um, and that's okay, but he, he's willing to do that in public settings, like, the whole, I'm, I'm not afraid, like, I need, he's, like, I needed to, uh, um, like, prove to the area that I was, like, uh, like, I was known for doing, like, parody comedy. So I just got up there and sang, like, I'm not afraid to grab my balls. Everybody, come grab my balls. Like that. Like that kind of thing. And it's just, you know, you you look at him doing that, and you initially think, like, oh, this whole plan is so silly. It's so... It, it's only for... um the purpose of making me laugh at how ridiculous this man is. Like, that feels like that's the whole, um, you know, impetus behind him doing that. But, I don't know, as I kept watching um, the show, especially the dumb Starbucks episodes, but even the the hero or the anecdote, you know, these convoluted plans where he ends up gaining some kind of virality Um, it's just, it ends up being so much more along the lines of, and I wouldn't even say satire or black comedy. It just feels like something else, something else that exists outside of the form. It's definitely something that he ended up pushing in the rehearsal and in the curse, especially like he really bent the form. In, in terms of this style of comedy, but it's really hard to put your finger on because it, it's such a simple setup. And like I said in the Substack article, such a simple setup. In lesser hands, like in a in a in the hands of like a, a comedian that's like straight shooter, like, you know, I'm I'm not gonna like have an ironic self aware tilt. And I'm also not gonna like indulge in the uncomfortable bits. Um, in the hands of, like, a straightforward comic, like, it, it would be funny. Like, the plan of selling poo-flavored yogurt would be funny, but coming from Nathan and coming from his awkward delivery and how he's kind of, like, dressing down people to get them to see what they'll do, like a social experiment, Um, it doesn't really come off as comedy to me it comes off as more like diy um i don't know like observation based i don't want to say humor because that's just you know it's just it's just comedy but it's this observation based social experiment i want to say like it feels like he's doing it for the purpose of like seeing how far he can bend the Nathan persona to show what it is that other people would do in response to his chaotic behavior. So when you have him, you know, doing the the rebate uh, hike, having people rebate, you know, or uh, hike all the way up to get their rebate, you know, put it in the into a box on the top of a mountain. Um, it's really this endurance test. Maybe that's maybe that's what I'm trying to find here. Uh sorry, I'm I'm going, you know, on a huge tangent, but you know that's what that's what you get. It's it's called John Dudley Speaks for a Reason. I'm not it's not John Dudley's Quiet the podcast. That was a bad joke. A bad joke. I'm gonna stop. I've been saying that. I've been saying that the entire podcast. I'm gonna stop and then I keep on going, so you shouldn't trust me. Um <laughs> but yeah, what was I say? Um Nathan really like I think pushes the buttons of people, and I think this is just him in general um pushes the buttons of people on purpose to elicit reactions. Like that's the whole setup. That's the whole idea for Nathan for you especially. Um and it just happens to fall into that space where Some people might find this funny, some people might find this stupid, uh, or some people might just, like, genuinely be offended by it. Um, You know, there's some things I was watching in The Curse, even, where I was like, man, this is kind of, like, this kind of would be offensive to some people. Or, like, Nathan, for you, I can, you know, pick off of, like, five, five different things that he does in the show that you show them to like a sample size, like get 20 people. I guarantee about 10 of those people will find it funny. Uh, 10 of those people would be like, why is he doing that? You know, that's, that's upsetting, you know? Uh, and I, I have heard in interviews that he, that's what he aims for is the polarizing aspect of it. Cause if you can sit in that area of comedy, that's where like, you're drawing the most reactions to it um, is when you're, you're offending as much as you are like causing people to um to hysterically laugh, you know? Um, you know, I look at the, like him replacing, what was it like the, the failed idea that he did of, you know, uh, a kid is mourning his dog, so he gets a message beyond the grave to his to the kid, and it's from the dog. But the dog is um, voiced by an actor, um, and his voice just does not line up with, you know. Obviously, any voice would not line up, but it's the, the kid the kid's reaction is so funny. But I could definitely see people looking at that like that's too far. You're playing with like an actual kid, or like the, um, or what is it like the the soundproof box for your children? So like when you go on vacation, you can have sex and you know put put your kids in a box so that you can enjoy yourselves, and not have to worry about the kid. I was like, I could definitely see someone taking issue with him, you know, having you know full-fledged group thing going on while there's a kid in there like it it's like so it borders on like so ridiculous that it's funny but also so ridiculous that it's edgy so he finds this like little balance between where the tone feels like like still positive because like it like it's okay this is happening because Nathan knows that the Nathan character is kind of a piece of shit. And I think it's that awareness that he has about himself and how he does this that makes Nathan for you such a potent watch. Like, especially on rewatch. Because when you're watching it at first, it's, like, very silly. Um, but, like, something like I Love You, the exchange when he does that, you watch that on a second time and you're like, wait, that's not really played for a bit. Like, that's kind of, you know, busting the facade a little bit of the Nathan character where he's, you know, drilling home this idea of, like, I want you to be connected to me, like, to the actress. Um, And I also want you, like, the other actor to follow my lead. So I, I feel like he buttons these jokes really well that's what he's always done really well um, but then it, it's so it's so unique how he's able to pull genuine feelings out of real people first of all um, and seeing how they reflect on his face too You know, it's almost a precursor to the rehearsal and how he's able to draw that emotion out of someone um when he draws that emotion out of someone it's almost like you think that the terrible nathan character may have the capacity to change or may have the capacity to internalize what he felt and then operate on that in an effective way um but I don't know. It, it, I think the point is that he, he won't because, you know, this is not a narrative based show. He's not going to be like continuously seeking that. But there's little breadcrumbs of where he's genuinely trying to like this Nathan character is trying to find a connection. Um, so it blurs the lines between like, is Nathan this guy or is he just playing this up? And you you never know. I think that's the thing with, you know, the best art that you're going to find is like you're never going to know. For real. Um, and I think just the setup of it being a DIY business self-help show from one of Canada's top business school grads. Like, it it comes off as this pastiche, you know, of those kinds of shows. Um, of, like, parody. But it's really, you strip that away from it. Strip that element from it. Really, what do you? have you have pretty much what he did in the rehearsal and then what he flipped upside down in the curse um and that's why i approached all three of these as like a three-week series is because each one feels like a specific art installation right you know it feels like a how director you know Tarantino has, what, nine movies and they make it a big deal about each one when it comes out. You know, um, anytime Jay-Z drops an album, that is a big deal. Like, I feel like Nathan Fielder is going to be one of those comedians where every time he drops a project that is, it you know, has created by Nathan Fielder in its name, it will necessitate like a whole uh, um, like dense evaluation and analysis Over what that specific piece is supposed to represent. So, you know, take for instance, um, you know Jesse Armstrong, for instance, I think is a good, um, good television creator that is like a parallel to that. You know, you have Succession, which everybody for the last five years has been trying to understand. Like, what is the general point? What are we trying to say about these characters? And then that finale hits, and you're like, oh, that's it, right? But you can't really do that with a Nathan Fielder show because he doesn't extend it past like, well, I guess Nathan for you, he did. But with the rehearsal and with with the curse to a larger extent, it's just like expanding these themes as much as they can into – you know, further ideas that invite the idea of symbolism into the conversation, um, which I think is such a, it's meant to be a deconstruction of television structure. Um, so like, you know, talking about, um, talking about the the rehearsal, um, I don't think he intended the rehearsal to be what it ended up being. Um, You know, I I think human nature actually surprised him a lot. And you get to see that on his face a lot of the time in that. It becomes a learning experience for him. But I genuinely think he went into it thinking, oh, this would just be like Nathan for you. But dealing with personal life things. You know, dealing with, you know, telling, uh, telling your significant other you're pregnant or something like that. Like some kind of major life moment or milestone he probably wanted to uh, exacerbate the politics of those kinds of conversations. Um, And I I really think it turned out in a way that I I think changed his view on how his comedy and how his setups impact the lives of other people. Um, Like you see it when it comes to um, Angela. First and foremost, um, Angela is well. First of all, I I think I, I think Angela is one of the people that is likely an opportunist. Like, likely use this as a means to um, I don't know, try and spread her message, whatever it was. Um, you know, she seemed very religious, and I, I think you know. with with the conflicts that she and Nathan had when it came to religion, it just upon rewatch, Angela looks a lot more like, and and this could be the editing because that's also another facet of it is that Nathan can use the editing to whatever advantage he wants to portray a person however he wants. So maybe he was the shitty person, when it came to their dynamic, maybe she was the shitty person who knows. And that's kind of the point. Um, but I don't know. There's just like bits of the edit where you see, like, maybe she's not here for the parenting. She's maybe here for, um, I don't know. Like she has a certain worldview and she wants to project that onto whatever situation's going on. Um, or maybe she needed money, like something like that. Um, it, and I feel like that confusion that we're thrown by Nathan like very early on, I think that's like that's it's very much his his own confusion at the situation. Like we we feel disoriented by by like what she's doing, anything that happens around Angela or like the the kid situation. Uh, like all the child actors, anything revolving around them is, you know, genuinely unpredictable. Whereas you can have goalposts set for the other things that he planned, and then it's just kind of the matter of, like, decision-making. What is Patrick going to do in this situation regarding his, uh, you know, regarding the grandfather's fortune? What is... Um, What's the guy's name? Um, the guy in the first episode. Um, what is he going to do um, if, if like his friend it actually has a problem with him lying about his education, right? It's, I think genuinely that was supposed to be the setup, but because Angela's strong personality pushed his boundaries a little bit and he had to step in, I think he, he found an opportunity to be like, well, maybe that's not what the rehearsal is. And maybe I don't even know what the rehearsal is. So that's, that's why it's just such an interesting formless kind of show where you, you really can't nail it down as comedy. I mean, sure. There's like really funny lines in there. Like, um, was it the, uh, like it's days like these, I cursed the Chinese for inventing gunpowder. It's like that kind of stuff that Nathan does that injects this like, um, like very ironic uh, kind of humor that, that it allows for the show to have like a lighter tone. Uh, and, and we'll talk about more this when it comes to the curse. But like it, in a in a darker context or in a, a context that's a lot more assimilated uh, with realism. That kind of stuff doesn't work. It comes off as like cringe. It comes off, but like not the kind of cringe humor that you would expect. It's more like just general cringe. General like um, pitch black discomfort. Like someone says that in a tone that's not heightened to that level. It's not going to match. And it leads to that dissonance uh, between tone and dialogue. Right? And character for that matter. Um, But the rehearsal, he keeps that tone like very much the same as he did with Nathan For You because it was like, I I believe at least the intention was to make a Nathan For You but for personal life stuff. Um, So that's why I think with it being so heightened, that's why I think the emotional things that happen in the show end up hitting so hard and feel so ridiculous at the same time. like. You know, you can't forecast that one of the child actors is going to grow to um, think that you're uh, his father. Like, you you can't predict something like that. You can predict, like, what maybe, like, a business owner is going to respond to. Like, you could do, like, a whole web of, like, if I if i propose this this is what their reactions could be and then the whatever the unpredictability lies in like the decisions that come after like that's where the that's where the comedy thrives that's the show but in the rehearsal he, he's dealing with so much more abstract feelings so you really can't predict how humans are going to handle particular conversations because it's not in our nature to all be uniform on something that has to do with our personal lives. All of us are going to have so many worldviews and core beliefs that we're throwing back into our own perception of what's happening in our personal lives. So it's not as like black and white as like a business decision. And I I think he just didn't know that that was going to be, um, an issue for a lot of these things. And I think on some level he did know that it would be an issue for these kinds of things and it would lead to comedy and lead to discomfort. It would lead to his brand of DIY cringe humor. But I think the resulting effect is so much more potent because he's getting to explore his own Nathan character again, but beyond the, kind of the shading that he gave it in Nathan for you, he's able to do it in a lot more of a thoughtful uh, way rather than kind of giving us glimpses of like, oh, this Nathan guy, he's just lonely. And that's why he's like, you know, pitching, hanging out, or with like a random, at a, at a random like auto shop customer, you know? Um, and I just, I think that's such an you know, intriguing setup for a show that I I genuinely don't think he could recreate the mystique behind that ever again. Like if he does rehearsal season two, which I'm sure he will, he's going to have to, I don't think he can repeat the same process, right? He can do another rehearsal, but he's going to have to have like another theme around that. You know, the theme of Nathan for you was a lot more based off of, you know, perception versus reality um and um the theme you know r- with the rehearsal was that you know he's dealing with the not only the ethical quandaries of his whole rehearsal which is like a whole separate issue but i think the central point of the rehearsal is that you cannot you know you cannot forecast what is going to be important to another person. Um, and I th- I think that he is so bitter about that in the curse that you get to see what that flip side looks like if the tone were not matching that heightened sense of vulnerability that you get in the rehearsal. Because it is, it is a heightened vulnerability. It is designed for dramatic effect because like that's what the rehearsal is supposed to be. It's supposed to be grand. Um, but Then you take one look at the, the curse and it's like, it's a lavish production. It looks gorgeous. And um, by the way, I'm moving on to the curse now. So uh, <laughs> I got a, I got a thing in front of me. So like if it doesn't seem clear that I'm moving, you know, topic to topic um, just know I I'm reading a thing in front of me. But, um yeah, <laughs> I realized i didn't pre- I didn't preface that, yeah i'm I'm kind of going stream of consciousness with this, so um <laughs> we'll get we'll get more of a format as we go, but um, but yeah, moving on to the curse now. Um, the curse in comparison to the rehearsal, um I feel like it's such an inversion of what the rehearsal, and to a lesser extent, Nathan for you, like offers up on a thematic scale. Um because you know prior to prior to um 2022, Nathan was seen as like you know a cringe comic, right? He was seen as this guy that does like gag interviews uh at movie premieres or like he's seen as this guy who's like a staple at com- of Comedy Central. Uh, who randomly will do something that is like extraordinary and boundary pushing? Like that. That's I think what the perception of him was, but I think that perception really changed after the rehearsal. Was able to, like, extremely un like unbalance what the form is when it comes to like a DIY um, reality based kind of type of show like it's not really reality based. There's so many narrative elements to it. Um, but they're all under the guise of this self-help um, aesthetic and self-help um, you know uh, setup basically. But like when you hit the curse, it's a narrative base, but I feel like there he still throws reality based elements into the fold even though the these are all actors whereas like the other two definitely not actors throughout the whole the whole thing but um it's like this blurring that um i feel like is the opposite of jury duty like jury duty great show by the way totally should watch amazing watch uh, so funny james Morrison is hilarious but um j- jury duty is is very much like we got one guy who's a real guy, everybody's actors, and we're doing like a bunch of crazy stuff around him. And uh we're just trying to see how he reacts. How does he become a better person for all these types of, you know, throughout all these types of situations. And, you know, I feel like Nathan takes that into a more like sardonic tone instead of like trying to enliven the viewer's perception of the people. It's more about like, how can, we, how can we view these people in a negative context based off of their response to certain situations? And then he proves himself wrong because these people end up doing something extraordinary or like completely something out of the way that they you know, didn't expect, producers didn't expect, and it counterbalances his whole you know, approach to try and expose people for doing negative things. So it ends up making him look like an asshole, which is kind of the, the point. You know, the rehearsal does the same kind of thing. But the the curse is so interesting. It might be one of the best shows I've watched uh, in a long time um, because it takes that narrative aspect, takes the fact that they're all actors in this one, but then just has that little piece it makes it feel like, like if this were a reality show, these would be the people that Nathan's trying to expose. Um, these are the people that Nathan um, is trying to get you to see him as, almost. And it just feels like this gigantic refutation of his own work, in a way, is just like, hey, maybe what I did with these actors, or not actors, with these um, extras when I was fooling them about a certain thing and tricking them, defrauding them into paying for some product, uh, maybe that wasn't cool. You know, maybe it wasn't cool for me to play with the emotions of a six-year-old kid because I'm using him as an actor for my weird setup of this woman becoming a parent, which she's like clearly not all that interested in. Um, Maybe that was a little fucked up. And I I love how uh, Benny and Nathan because Benny Benny Safdie um, co-director co-creator of The Curse you know I, I'm very big fan of his work so far Good Time and Uncaged Unca Gems are um, really stressful to get through <laughs> um, but so I, I was wondering like how is he going to fit in this fold because Benny Safdie is a lot more atmospheric right. Nathan has a very patented brand of DIY humor, but the perception of him has changed since the rehearsal. It's a lot more like, oh, highbrow, like we're doing existential deliberations on life, but with silly comedy as the base. Um, but when you invert that and then add a dark tone and kind of this atmospheric, ghostly... um almost like voyeuristic view into fictional characters' lives, almost as if they're real. And we're kind of getting a glimpse of what their real life is like. Um, that's where, like, I think the curse, like, lives in this, you know, it's apt. It's apt it lives in a very cursed time, kind of a, a setting in space in television where, like, these people are trying to be, so altruistic and forward thinking and, you know, they're all about the green initiatives, which I get, I get, there's a lot of people in this world that are like that, but I I think the way they're going about it is designed, it's designed to show you that they're not, they're not really doing anything, right? Their belief is that they are doing something, but they're doing nothing because everything that they're doing is for themselves, and I think that's a direct meta commentary on how Nathan views his own work, like Nathan may see like people commenting about the rehearsal, like, "Oh my God, look what he did with this piece of work Like look how he was able to deeply analyze and I'm using quotation marks like de- deeply analyze and you know break down the human condition, and he probably looks at that as like, well, that's not what I was doing i maybe feel like i did something else and maybe i've caused harm to other people so why don't i take the people that are in this show and make them come off the way that i feel about this or feel i should be perceived about this and i could be i could be completely wrong i could be, he could be completely like on the side of like what i did was awesome and what i'm doing on this is awesome too and they're not interrelated or anything but I genuinely feel like there's, like, an intertextual communication between the rehearsal and the curse where, like, everything that happens to Asher, um, and I'm not going to give anything away because I, I do recommend this show. I think it's fantastic, and I think any anybody should watch it. Um, actually... I feel, I feel like it it would cause division. It would cause a lot more division than any other Nate, other uh, you know shows that Nathan has done. But I, I think it's a fascinating piece of art that genuinely asks very difficult questions about like what are we doing to um, to give back to the community if we're like saying that we're giving back to the community but we're doing it from the lens of well this is you know this is my dream this is my dream or i'm like rebelling against what my parents believe so i'm going to do this it's really not in service of anything but myself but i don't see it that way because of like the proof that i have that i've touched people's lives and i feel like that's what whitney is supposed to embody is that she is you know, she's the Green Queen, as they say. Like, she, she's all about the, these passive homes. But she's not willing to go past the surface to excavate, like, the true moral problems that are lying there. She's willing to rebut anything about her parents being slumlords, right? Um, but she's, she like jumps to that uh, defense very quickly. For herself, right, but she's not i don't think willing to see her artist' friends i forget i forget her name uh Car- cara i think it's cara um she's not willing to see her perspective through a different like refined perspective you know that she should have it's more like she sees her like cara cara's art. And perspective on art and how it should be used within the community as, like, this attack on her and her artistry and her way of trying to progress the area forward. She sees it as this, like, well, if you're not going to, you know, position yourself... um, you know, position your art and your release of the art to the public of this area or to my homes or whatever, if you're not going to like sanction it in a way that works with my vision and like, then, then I think that you're at odds with me basically. And I, and she more or less says that in the show. Um, and I, I think that along with, you know, the, the running joke about the chicken and the curse itself, and you know, also the ending, which is batshit insane. Um, I mean, I'm not going to spoil it for you because you you got to watch it. It is absolutely one of the weirdest things I've ever seen on television. Um, but like, couple those things, like the curse and like the chicken running bit, and Dougie's wife, and put all those things together, and what you're left with is like you know, this accursed type tone. It's a very like mystifying haunting tone intentionally because the show is called the curse. It's supposed to have some kind of element to that. And that's, you know, Benny Safty's doing with like the, the atmosphere that you're getting from it. Um, but like, it still feels like this inner interstitial media satire uh, commentary that, it's almost like oh, he believes all of these things. Nathan, Nathan believes that all of these things should be happening to these people, and it, he gets us to think that until he shows us like what good they could be capable of, capable of. Um, but then you think about the good that they're capable of, and you're like, is that self serving? Is that is that subservient to? Like, is that something that is actually going towards the the goodwill of the general community? Or is that something to make them, you know, feel better about their own decision making? Um, like a tonic for them, you know, so that they can swallow the awful things they've done by saying that they did something good. And... That's where I think the show really thrives the most, is because like, yeah, sure you can you can go the extra mile like Nathan's trying to like make a point with you know his you know micro penis or whatever like you know and they're they're trying to make a point about like yeah he's shining the light on himself he doesn't think he's all that great everybody's you know he's saying he's he's the best comedian of his generation when it comes to this style but he doesn't think that same thing that's like on a general broad level but I think when you cobble all of the um, you know the chicken illusions and the um, you know the stuff with Nala uh, the stuff with Dougie when it came to like how he lost his wife and uh, just his inner torment um, and his belief in curses as well um, you, you get to this like supernatural plane in the show that I feel like is meant to like communicate to us what Nathan's worldview is on like karmic balance. So I, I think because of all this negativity thrown towards Whitney and Asher. Like they're trying their best to do the best for the people around them like like Nathan maybe has that intention in Nathan for you and the rehearsal he's he's doing something for entertainment but also doing it for maybe trying to bring the good out of other people to show that he's like his type of person that he's portraying is bad um like the curse takes just that spotlight um that he gives himself in those two shows. And then just says, what if the universe like reclaimed all of that, you know, that feigned positive energy that you gave out to other people that you felt good about, but maybe necessarily like they could have, they could have taken what you did as offensive or as cruel as self-serving. And it's just like, it's it's almost like Nathan believes like, oh, I'm I'm deserving of this kind of payback or haunting because of um my inability to see past um my own needs, which is entertainment. Um and it's it's so interesting. It it's there's so much I could talk about this for a long time. You know that. Uh oh my God, we're already at fifty minutes. But but yeah, that's and first of all, or not first of all, because I've been talking forever. Um last but not least, Emma Stone, Oscar winner, Emma Stone, everyone, like do I even need to say it? She's amazing in the curse. Like it, it I I've I, I have to I have to watch that Chris Nolan interview with Nathan and Benny because I know they do talk about Emma Stone at some point. But Um, Emma Stone is just like, just marvelous, um, in the depths that she goes to prove to people that like, she is kind of a terrible person. Um, not Emma Stone, her character, you probably knew that, but (laughs) just the way I phrased it, it made it seem like, oh, like Emma Stone's bad. No, no, Emma Stone's great. Um, but yeah, it's just very, um, a very complicated show, very complicated person that Nathan Fielder is, and I, I think this is just—we're we're just gonna see him, um, continue to um, like hit on these very dense themes with different formatting for them. So, like, I'm not even sure the next thing that he does is a, is a television show. I'm not even sure it could—sure it could be a movie. Like, he could literally he did that podcast with uh um what's her name from uh I think Maddie from Euphoria like anything that he touches at this point in his career uh he can he can subvert the form in a way where people are going to watch it and gain some kind of meaning from it so that doesn't mean he has to actually like stay within the medium so I'm very interested to you know excited especially uh, to see what he does next, uh, I'm sure the rehearsal season two is going to be coming soon. But uh, whatever he does outside of that purview, um, uh, and or er, uh, and Benny Safdie for that matter too, uh, whatever they do outside of that purview, it could be very, um, could very be very polarizing, even more so than this, cause depending on whatever subject they're trying to hint at, whatever satire they're trying to hit themselves with. Um, it'll definitely, it'll definitely be funny, but all right, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna move on before we, before we run out of time. Um, let's see, am I going to do a line delivery of the week? My, my line delivery of the week was probably, you guys can look this up. I tried doing it last time on the you, on YouTube. Maybe, wait, wait, I'll try it. I'll try it this time. See if I can get my mic to, let's see. Yeah, line delivery of the week. Um, <laughs> you just you guys just look it up, but I can't find a good clip of it. But uh, it's when Nathan says to the medium, or um, that like the realtor that he's gonna make a ghost realtor. He says, uh, "Wait, a ghost choked you in Switzerland." Just kills me every time because you can tell he had no idea that was going to be said and he breaks a little character in that moment. And it's fantastic. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Look up, look up uh ghost realtor, uh, Nathan for you. And you'll, you'll find some of the funniest things you've ever seen. Um, highly recommend, but speaking of recommendations before we, before we hang up, um, I got a rec, I got a few wrecks here, but, um, got a rec from a friend of mine. Uh, she's been, uh, she's been ecstatic about this one. I think she finished it all already, but I'm on the first episode, but the brother's son, um, is brilliant. Uh, starring Michelle Yeoh, Oscar winner. Um, you know, it's this combination of slick, quirky, you know, sappy. Uh, it's like a lot of comedy, but also action and a little stylized, um, uh, kind of, uh, tone and setup it's just it's very consistently entertaining um it's just fun i you know tv just we need to get back to an era where there's like a show that comes out and we're like hey that was a lot of fun wasn't it like yeah i I just feel like a lot of shows are trying to be everything Uh, especially in the post disney plus era every everybody's trying to like swing for the fences for that next big thing uh ever since you know game of thrones ended too like there's always that that big um, just play to get the the new big streamer uh, uh, like a, a winning comedy or a winning um, like a, a winning drama or something, whatever. Um, but yeah, the brother's son is just, it's just, it's a, just a good show. It's just a very well-produced, well-made show with excellent fight choreography, um, great acting. It's really funny um it's got a nice goofy uh aura about it but also like it gets serious when it needs to it's got that mob feel to it uh and michelle yo kicks ass so yeah highly recommend this show it's fantastic um and then last but not least not last but not least i got two more recs. uh the ted show is is fucking great um i didn't think i'd be saying that but it, it is fucking great oh my god uh, I mean was was Seth saving his best jokes for this cuz like there's some jokes in here that I was rolling on the floor laughing. I'm like you know this is just as good as like prime era prime era family guy. And it's kind of like this is exactly what I would expect a live action family guy to be like. So um yeah, I I highly recommend it. Ted is great. Please go give it a, a, a stream um support the Ted Hive. Ted fans unite. Ted 2 was terrible though. Like don't watch Ted 2. Unless I I'll I'll watch it again. I'll watch it just for the F Scott Fitzgerald joke because that 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 joke still kills. Um but then last recommendation, um you know me, I'm a Marvel guy. Uh Echo. Uh it's good. I'm only one, ep- one episode in. It's interesting uh how they were able to make this it seems like it was edited to pieces. Uh, it's a little wobbly, um, but it has that rugged street-level Marvel feel to it. So uh, I'm sure it's gonna get back up on its feet, and you know it'll have those starts and stops. I'm sure, um, especially because you you know this is a show that was probably gonna be um, backgirdled, basically. Like I think Marvel was gonna get rid of it completely, and here it is and you know all five episodes uh, i'm sure they cut down one of them because um you know budget concerns and didn't have enough like um you know it, it didn't have enough connectivity or something like that like the marvel is in shambles right now so it's really hard to tell what their decision making is like is based out of but all i can say about that is echo is a good show um you should watch it give it a chance and it and it's separate from a lot of the Marvel stuff, so you you'll be able to watch this and be like, oh, like so that's that's Hawkeye, cool. That's Daredevil, cool. Wilson Fisk, whatever. Like, you know. And honestly, if you watch that and you're like, screw this, I don't want to watch all these characters. Watch Daredevil again, because that show kicks ass. Um, one of the best of that Netflix era. I am getting off track again. Sorry. Uh, two skips, two skips, and then we'll then we'll hang up um so speaking of marvel um what if um it's got some hits i'll say the die hard episode was really fun but it's just like there's some really bad writing in it like the animation also just looks weird um i've i've heard other uh podcasters say this online like you know they just can't watch it because the the animation style is just so like, when it comes to the people, they look odd when they're talking or when they're moving. And and I get that. Um, it's not a very well-designed show. Um, and like, I liked what if season one for the most part, I just thought it fell short in terms of writing and pacing. Cause it's all 20 minute episodes, right? Um, but what if season two just really did not do it for me? Um, I know, I've heard other people really like it and you know, teach your own for sure. If, if you, if you guys like it, you watching might have a completely different opinion. Um, and, and that's totally fine. That's totally cool. Like I get why, I get why people would really like this actually. Like I just was not into it. Um, the Sakar stuff like that Sakar episode was really cool with, but that was, that was like a leftover from last season. But then, you know, um, like, it's just it throws me off when they do voice actors for like characters that are in universe, and it's just like it, it's not the same guy in the live action. Like I, ho- I'm hoping Marvel can kind of rectify that a little bit more. They're just using Tony Stark so much, and it's like, yeah, we know that's not RDJ. Just like, can we get rid of the Tony Stark connection? Try, like, we just try keep keep going back to 2012 Iron Man all the time. And it's I don't know. It feels exhausting. It just feels like Marvel's like running out of ideas very quickly. Um, not me uh, criticizing Marvel right after I praised it, but you know, it, that, that I think that shows you the state of flux they're in right now. Uh, but then, last but not least, um, Scott Pilgrim takes off. I watched the anime. Um, it's good, but I, the, I say I say skip it just because it's you know it the alternate timelines without Scott Pilgrim, because Michael Sarah is absent for a lot of the show. I just, it didn't really pull me in. I thought the writing was kind of like, I don't know. It was very tiresome to get through. And that was my problem with it. It was just, I feel like I feel tired. Like I felt, I felt like watching homework. I love everybody in it. Um, the OG cast, like Chris Evans, Karen Culkin, uh, Mary Elizabeth Weinstein, like everybody's great. Um, I just, I just wasn't into it. Didn't click with me, but it might click with you. So that's, uh, those are my wrecks and skips. But, um, until next time, uh, I'm, I'm John Dudley. Uh, John Dudley speaks, uh, is the podcast is the name. And it stay, stay tuned for, um, some more podcasts coming up. I got a special guest for the next one that's coming out. So, Stay tuned for that. Um, stay tuned also uh, YouTube. I'm going to be updating some uh, YouTube videos soon. So uh, subscribe to at John Dudley speaks on YouTube. There's nothing there yet, just a picture of me flashing the peace sign. Um, but there's going to be some stuff soon. There's going to be a video. I'm I'm uh, editing right now, editing two videos. So it's going to be it's going to be flowing on a constant basis. Uh, February is a big month for me. Hopefully. You know, fingers crossed, getting a lot of stuff out there. But um, until next time, um, I'm your host, John Dudley, and uh, this is the John Dudley Speaks podcast. I can't wait to hop on next time. So I still haven't figured out how to end these, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna let the music play, and I will see you later. Bye.